Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 112, How Austin Cleon Writes. So as I record this intro, there's a huge, huge thunderstorm rolling through Charleston. And I like set my gear up really quickly and I was like, maybe I can capture the thunder as I record the intro. So if you hear banging, I was hoping to add some moody background sounds. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. Anyways, welcome to episode 112. I have been so excited to bring this episode to life. Austin Kleon is the best-selling author of the book Steal Like an Artist. I'm sure you've seen it because it has been everywhere, as well as lots of other creative, inspirational books. I came across Steal Like an Artist just independently. The cover grabbed me, the headline grabbed me. I read the book years ago and absolutely loved it. Really, it took to me, I felt like the messages were right on, and I was like, boy, oh boy, this is a good book for writers. Fast forward a couple years, and here I am producing and publishing an episode with Austin. This is a great one. Uh, Austin is full of just unconventional wisdom and insights. He has a style and presence that makes communicating those ideas just effortless I really love this interview, and I know you will as well. I do want to take one quick second and say thank you to Austin once again for his time for the interview. And now, my friends, here we are, episode 112 with Austin Cleon. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and today I have a very special guest on the show, Austin Cleon. Austin is the New York Times bestselling author of a trilogy of illustrated books about creativity in the digital age, Steal Like an Artist, Show Your Work, and Keep Going. He is also the author of Newspaper Blackout, which is a collection of poems made by redacting the newspaper with a permanent marker. And it is a very amazing, like as far as poetry books goes, it's as interesting and <laughs> and just, just interactive as possible. His books have been translated into dozens of languages and have sold over a million copies worldwide. He's been featured on NPR's Morning Edition, PBS NewsHour, and in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. New York Magazine called his work brilliant. The Atlantic called him positively one of the most interesting people on the internet. That is a huge, that is a huge accolade. And the New Yorker said his poems resurrect the newspaper when everybody else is declaring it dead. In previous lives, Austin worked as a librarian, a web designer, and an advertising copywriter. He lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and sons. I want to do a specific call out on Steal Like an Artist. I mean, those of you who've been listening to the show for a while know how much I love my craft books and creativity books. Uh, Steal Like an Artist is truly in my top five most important books for writers, for creative people in general. Um, the book isn't specifically written only for novelists. It, it's, a, it's about the creative process and about the creative life in general. Um, but if you are a writer, if you want to do anything creative, this is kind of one of those must reads up there with, you know, all my other heavy favorites, War of Art, um, you know, the list. And the good news is their 10th anniversary of Steal Like an Artist uh, edition has just come out, I believe in March, and it's available in bookstores everywhere. So now is as good a time as any. If you haven't read this book, go pick it up at your local bookstore, at your library, wherever you get your books. With that said, Austin. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to interview you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, before recording, I was saying that this book is is one of those um, really big books for me. I've, I've just been so influenced by it. And so this is kind of one of those uh, pinch me moments on the podcast to be able to talk to the creator of it. It feels very, uh, it's like, oh man, 
this is fun. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question. So your 10, your 10 year anniversary of the book is coming out. And what I want you to do is, is give me a look back on 10 years. Um, what, what's the thing as you look back over those 10 years, what's the thing that you, you surpri- has surprised you or that you just, you, you learned that you didn't realize, I, I mean, 10 years of learning, of doing talks, of going over the same material, like what it's, what is it as you look back that kind of bubbles up to the surface for you? I am most surprised by how durable and vibrant the codex as a technology is the, the book as a technology. Mm. I'm, I'm thrilled. You know, when, when, when I did newspaper blackout, my first book, part of the impulse of doing that book was that books are going to disappear. Everyone was thinking about eBooks and everyone Mm. was like, you know, paper books are going away and this is going to change the whole industry. And, you know, there was this sort of like, um, you know, this kind of like, it was the situation in which I was like, if I don't do a book right now, I'll never get to do another book. (laughs) You know, somebody wants a book for me, like I must do it now. And then Steal Like an Artist was a book where I didn't really have time to worry about what I was doing because Steal Like an Artist started out as a talk and it went viral online, like the blog post that was based on the talk. and there were so many editors that were hitting me up and we were trying to sell it very quickly, my agent and I. And then when we sold it to workmen, I only had like two or three months to really get it worked up because they wanted to have the book ready for graduation season the next year. So we sold it like in the early summer of 2011 and then it came out in like March of 2012. So one of the things I love about Steel Like an Artist is that it's so part of the style or what people respond to as the energy and the kind of punky, quick, mm-hmm. sketchy style of it was really a reaction to constraints, which is kind of a meta principle in the book, right? right. There's an irony <laughs> in there, right? Like- yeah. So it's it was... Um, there just wasn't any time to worry about what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and that, and that comes down to the very, I actually designed the cover. Um, I, what I did was I, I made, you know, like when you go to elementary school and they have you cut out a paper bag to cover your, your books, your textbooks. I found a book that was going to be the trim size of steel, like an artist on my shelf and I made a book cover for it and like designed what I thought the cover should be and gave it to my editor. And he said, can I keep this? So I, made, I, I didn't know what a dummy book was at the time. I basically made yeah. a dummy book like a children's book illustrator would make. And um, that was the one that the late Peter Workman, uh, who was the head of the company, he pointed to that one in the cover uh, in the cover meeting and said that one. So that's the kind of like, just a kid who doesn't know what he's doing, you know, that was kind of the, but the incredible power and energy of that is what I look back on as I'm, yeah. I am. And I think that, you know, your, your listeners who are probably mostly writers. I mean, the thing I learned about it is you got to make the work that you got to make right now. There's some, there's something that needs to be done like right now. And if you can do it and execute it, um, you'll just be so happy later, <laughs> you know, cause then it's on to the next thing. But since steel, like an artist came out, I've probably talked myself out of more writing more books than I've actually written because, <laughs> yeah. because the pressure of, of having a successful book of trying to follow up of, of, of having a career, you know, that, that, that does take its toll, but I'm so grateful to that kid because I was 27, 28 when I wrote most of that material and I'm pushing 40 now. Um, I'm grateful to that person for writing the book because I just ask myself now, like, where's this, where's this kid get all this energy? Yeah. <laughs> like, where is this coming from? And, and the real, you know, the real truth is, is he stole it. <laughs> he stole it all. You know, this is all stuff that, but it also, um, it's a great, it, you know, it's, it's a book that changed my life just as much as anyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as you're talking. Um, one of the things that, that stood out is 
the like sequential nature of going from a talk to a blog post to a book and how in nonfiction there's a clearer path you know you can tweet something yeah. and then if you get wow this twitter you know posted really well i can then write a blog post and if that does really well then maybe i've got the right kind of core for a like a nonfiction book to bring to market yeah. right which is a cool s- series of validation in the fiction world that, that, that's a lot harder you Absolutely. know what I mean? it's it's, it's yeah. a lot more difficult because we don't have like this idea of like sequential like most times you're not writing a, a narrative in a tweet and then a short story and then taking a short story and blowing it out um there's not that same kind of linear progression that sometimes you see in these types of books and i know i i'm as you're talking i could think of a couple other nonfiction books that follow a similar type progression from yeah from a um you know talk into a book and so i'm curious like for for fiction writers out there who are like listen like i want to get work out in the world but i write novels <laughs> like yeah i write i write 400 page novels and they're nervous about putting something out there that maybe winds up not being accepted like how how have you seen like good validation for fiction writers kind of in that same path? I really, that's why I wrote the sequel to Steel Like an Artist, which is called Show Your Work. Yep. It occurred to me that lots of, you know, creators have this exact problem. They're, you know, novelists, I mean, it can take you 10 years to yep. write a great novel. Um, yep. And it occurred to me that, we live in this world now in which you kind of have to gather an audience before you even want to publish anything. Mm -hmm. And in the old days, you know, it was like, well, you might get some short stories in the literary magazine or something like that, you know, on, but there was something about the internet that flipped switches for me where I realized, you know, you can be passionate about your form or your work in a way online that can gather an audience before you even have any work to share with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that certainly happened to me when I started my blog. I don't think a lot of people know this, but I was trying to write short stories at the time. And then I kind of switched to graphic novels. I thought maybe I'd do comics. Uh, And then it became very clear to me that I just don't necessarily have the mind for fiction. I don't think in terms of character, Mm. Um, the only novelist I ever heard talk who gave me an idea, I thought, you know, this makes sense to me finally, is I, um, I watched a lecture with Lauren Groff, who did a book called Matrix, which is her first piece of historical fiction. And the way she talked about how that book came together and, and her prejudice against historical fiction and then how she kind of came to the form, I thought, oh, okay, this I could probably do if, you, if, I, if I could borrow characters who are actually fleshed out in like a mm-hmm. world, then I might be able to like spend a story. But I just didn't have that. I knew a lot of fiction writers and I didn't have whatever they had. But I was always trying to counsel friends of mine Cause I have friends that are much better writers than I am who haven't published yet. And yeah. they're, you know, um, and I really wrote show your work for them because I felt that there was a way with the internet to really join a network of people that were interested in the same thing you were interested in. So I'm always counseling my friends like this, you know, cause I, I know that part of the job of being a fiction writer is reading a lot of fiction. Mm-hmm. So I'm always pushing, needling my friends, where is your blog with the books that you're reading? Like, Mm -hmm. where is your little Twitter with a little, oh man, I love this book by so-and-so and and the at handle. So all Mm -hmm. of a sudden this person was like, well, who's this person? You know, where is your little, you you know, how can you present yourself in a way that you're gathering a crew together before you even have like your own work out in the world? So that, that was kind of the, um, that was kind of the impulse to show your work. And it's, I think that book can somehow, sometimes that book is very misinterpreted as is still like an artist in that I'm saying you should show everything, everyone, everything right away. And I'm like, no, no, no. You should show people little bits and pieces of your process as you go. And you could be as abstract or as concrete as you want to be. I mean, you can share rough drafts if you wanted to, or you could write short, 
flash fiction on Twitter or what, you know, whatever it would right. be, but you can decide what little bits and pieces you're going to share and what you're comfortable with and what you're, and what you're capable of, you know, cause a lot of novelists, I know they've got nine to five jobs and they're trying to squeeze in writing and also try to build a platform online. And it's a lot, you know, but the thing that I am always trying to push fiction writers in particular, cause I have a few friends who are fiction writers is that join that world. As soon as you can, you can be a fan right now. Like what mm. you can offer me as a fan of fiction, like, you know, cause I love reading fiction. Like I'm always pushing my friends who write fiction. Tell me what's good. Tell me mm. what you're loving. That in a sense is a service. You're already doing me a service. And if I like the books that you're recommending, I'll probably like your book too. You know? So that's just like a first step is yeah. to just go ahead and join that world right away. I also think there are some fiction writers who are really good at just being online, which is its own kind of like, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of Jeff Vandermeer, who I haven't actually read any of his books, but I love the way he writes about like, I'm really interested in rewilding and like his, mm. he's got this place in Tallahassee that he's kind of letting re rewild and he posts all these beautiful photos of, of like, you know, stuff like that, where it's just like, I'm interested in this person. And at some point, I'm going to read one of his books because he's on he's top of mind. I follow right. him, you know, right. so I've always had that feeling, too, about my career is like, you know, I what I do now in my career. I mean, what I really wanted to do was be a poet and an artist, <laughs> you know, and now I do these other kinds of books, but I still in the back of my mind think, you know, someday I'm going to make something good enough that everybody's going to, you know, I'm still, I still have this kind of hope that as I keep making work and stuff yeah. that at some point I'll get to that place that I want to be. Uh, but for, you know, and I think that's the other thing that is really difficult about the writing gig everybody who's ever been cognizant of all of the writing kind of crush as a career is knows that you can make more money talking about writing than you can actually write <laughs> you know so this is like a problem that right. everyone's talked about right you know? yeah correct um, yeah. and so uh so it's 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 that thing you know but i do think that my counsel, I just, particularly a lot of fiction writers, I mean, a lot of fiction writers are really introverted. Otherwise, they wouldn't right. use a, a, a life's work that requires you sitting in a room alone in front of a glowing screen or right. a page or whatever, right. you know. Right. Um, and so it's hard. I, I think it's hard to put yourself out there. I also think fiction writers on the whole are trying to get at something ineffable. I mean, they're trying to get to something. I don't know if that's the right word, but you, you, they're trying to get, they're trying to materialize something that is, can't be communicated in any other way than fiction. Um, and that is really interesting work and it doesn't necessarily translate to, you know, being good online or right. being helpful or A strong or whatever. Twitter, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm always, cause this, you know, I'm I I think about this a lot because yeah. I think every writer knows a writer who has more raw talent and is more interesting than them that just hasn't figured out how to materialize it. You know, the actual point of writing, mm -hmm. <laughs> just mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. something totally. on the page. You know, totally. there's yeah. a lot totally. of people with this kind of raw potential, and they're either they haven't gotten the pages out somehow or they haven't shared the pages or, or whatever it is, you know? And so I'm always just trying to counsel, you know, I'm just always trying to counsel my friends like that. It's just try to try to stake a little bit of a claim in the world first before you have this great thing yeah, right, right. so that people kind of know you for something. And then when they get your manuscript, they can look you up and kind of know, you know, cause that is kind of the game now. I mean, every publisher, is like where's your audience before you even show up? Right. right. Uh, so it's just a cruel. It's a cruel business. I mean, it yeah. really is. Um, how, yeah. yeah. How, how much of that? <laughs> how, how much of that hesitation do you think boils down to either fear or perfectionism? Um. I mean, I think a lot of it. You know, I think that. 
or maybe not I, knowing. I, I think maybe not knowing is yeah. a big piece of that as well. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people. The internet's a crazy place. Even someone who I grew up online. Yeah. I run a digital business. Like I, sure. I, I know the internet inside and out, and it still is intimidating. <laughs> this I idea know. Of, yeah. of just putting stuff out there. Well, I'm so I'm like. I think a lot about this because for one thing, I'm really glad I'm not my kid's age. I'm Mm -hmm. really glad I didn't have to, Mm -hmm. you know, live my adolescence online. Um, On the other hand, I'm really glad I was so young and stupid when I started my blog because Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything to lose. Right. I had nothing to lose. I mean, obscurity was my only problem. Um, And I do think there are people who are willing to humiliate themselves in public. If you look at American culture, mm-hmm. getting famous is a lot of getting famous is an ability to humiliate yourself on a large scale. Now people wince when I say humiliate, but I'm like, look, when you put yourself out in the world, <laughs> when you say I yeah. made this thing, you are setting yourself up for you're being exposed in a certain way. Right. Um, and that just, kind of comes down to there are people like me i have a high tolerance for being humiliated in public i don't get embarrassed very easily mm-hmm. i don't i've being on stage has never been a problem for me i'm i'm a performer in that sense and i understand that there are blind spots that i have as that kind of person so i'm always trying to get in the minds of my friends who are trying to do other kinds of work. And I do think a lot of it is fear. That's actually why uh, imperfectionism, which in some ways are kind of the same thing. Um, yeah. But I think that, that that's why in the beginning of Show Your Work, I actually, I recommend that people read obituaries <laughs> because I wanted, I wanted to start that book with death because, <laughs> because I, you know, really fear comes down to, you, you know, every fear that you can uncover is like, well, you know, you're going to be dead one day. Right. 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 Well, I mean, right. it's like, how much do you, that, that denial of death, that great Ernest Becker book. It's like, you know, you, death is the ultimate that is where we're headed. And so you just have to ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, right. Um, and what do you, you know, is it worse to be, is it worse for someone to hate your work now? Or is it worse for you not to have done it and die? You know, yeah. so that's, I really wanted to get that point across early in that book. There, um, there's those shirts that say, that say, but did you die? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, right? That's kind of like the principle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> death is like a really good thing to keep in mind because it does provide a sense of urgency. People always ask me like, well, what's your motivation? And I said, you know, death and deadlines. Otherwise nothing gets done. <laughs> like this idea that I won't be here one day, which yeah, is an right. amazing, meta, you know, motivator. And then deadlines is, is you signed right. a contract and you told someone you would deliver something. I'm very right. Midwestern in the sense that if I tell something I'm going to do, you know, if I tell someone I'm going to yeah, do something, yeah, yeah. like I'm going to like make sure, you know, I do it. And so, yeah, death and deadlines. That's the, great, deadline. motiv- the great motivators. <laughs> to me. So why do you think, um, I, I think novelists specifically come ha- have this belief, but why do you think novelists see something like steal like an artist and will immediately want to argue against that point and, and, and think that creativity is uh, must come from, I don't want to say nothing, but, but is only coming from some source of fantastic create I, I don't even know how to describe it you, you get what i'm saying well i don't really know because i mean you have someone like cormac mccarthy who says you know books are made of other books that's the ugly truth yeah. i mean of course sometimes cormac mccarthy sounds like you threw you know hemingway and the king james bible <laughs> and Faulkner in a blunder you know i mean yeah i've always thought of him as kind of a mashup artist which is kind of interesting um but You know, I think it has something to do with the word invention, maybe, you know, the idea that fiction's all made up, which I think is really funny, because, I mean, in a lot of ways, we're just writing the kind of stories that we read, you know, I mean, it's kind of like not, you know, we're taking, uh, there is an input and output of it. Um, I, I think that's probably a lot to do with it. I think there's more pressure 
on the fiction writer to be original, you mm-hmm. know. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's only so many stories, <laughs> yeah. and um, I don't know. I think that. Uh, but I think you could be liberated. I think, you know, like um, I'm a person that gets a lot of inspiration from other art forms. So, you know, a lot of times I'm less inspired by books, for example, and I might be more inspired by like music or something like that. Um, so, you know, with novelists, I'm always like, well, look at, look at movies. Like, look at how much homage goes on in movies, watch a Tarantino film or something like that. You know, I mean, movies in some ways are always referring to other movies with shots and stuff. And so I, I don't think it makes it less original, you know, it's just, um, so I, I think we're always pushing against that. And it's weird too, because if you think of the history of the novel, like, I mean, a lot of it is like retelling old stories and, you know, going to ancient source material and, um, and, you know, you think of someone like, my God, like I think of someone like Elmore Leonard, who I have, you know, this gets into trouble with literary fiction versus genre fiction and all that <laughs> stuff. But for me, Elmore Leonard on a sentence level can outwrite most of the mm. um, literary novelists that I read. Uh, it's just, there's a big bag of money in every book and they're trying to get it, you know, and the way that he's able to, you know, or someone like Agatha Christie or, you know, I really look up to a lot of genre writers who are able to write like on that sentence level that's keeps you there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky thing, right. To write really well on the sentence level and then spin a good yarn. Yeah. So I look up to people like, you know, Elmore Leonard or trying to think of someone else. Um, I'm blanking, but yeah. Yeah. You know, this idea that there's only, you know, in every Elmore Leonard book, there's like a big bag of money, but there's always, and it always keeps you reading. It's always interesting. It's always like well-written on a sentence level, you know? So I think that the other question is, is do we really go to art for original stuff? I mean, so that's an important question. Yeah. Is that what people want? Yeah. It's it's interesting. (laughs) A lot of times when we, you know, you're, you're making a great point. A lot of times when we talk to, um, when we talk to writers or do big live events and stuff. Um, the idea of using the devices that are common in the genre and in the practice, like even like plotting devices, you know, like, yeah. like hero's journey, like stuff that's been just proven the three act structure. It's been around for yeah. thousands of years in Western, at least in Western writing. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, as being, being a way to communicate story. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people push against that and, and, and feel like it's cheating in some way. And I'm, and I always am like, listen, you know, there, there's, um, when you learn music, oftentimes you're not learning how to write music as well as how to play an instrument. That would be obscene. You know what I mean? Nobody's like, Hey, learn the violin and also learn to write a song in violin at the same time. Right. Oftentimes it's like, Hey, here's a song, learn how to play it. And then at a certain point you will be playing enough that maybe you can start riffing off of it. But, but yeah. you're you're going through these rhythms that internalize the flow, right, of the music or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of times in fiction writing, this is why I feel like an artist, I think, is such an important book, is because it reinforces this idea that like we are, I don't want to say borrowing, that's maybe too strong of a term, but but we're certainly working within a tradition yeah. that um it's it is healthy and right to step into the tradition and borrow and to learn and absorb from the brilliant writers have come before us. And to borrow other traditions. I mean, you know, that's the other thing, you know, when when people that, that T.S. Eliot quote, which is where that all comes from, that the immature poets copy and mature poets steal, people always forget the next part, which is the mature poet will, 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 you know, they'll borrow from places alien in time and language, you know, he's talking about really spreading out. So a book that I really enjoyed that, that your listeners might enjoy was um, read this book called the heroine's journey by um, Gail Carriger and Gail, I think writes like romance mainly and comedies too. And, and a lot of that book is making the case for, 
what comedy and romance runs on, which is what she calls the heroine's journey. This idea that instead of it being a kind of masculine, lone hero individual, like a lot of the heroine's journey stories are about an individual that builds a team and a network and is able to overcome things using this network. So for example, she, re- she sort of like, rereads harry potter under that framework Mm -hmm. you know because if you think about harry it's not just that harry harry is really good at alliances you know so in that sense it's not a gendered thing Uh, she sees harry potter as like a heroine i actually think that the fast and furious movies are heroines journeys Hmm. (laughs) because it's it's about a team i mean it's about people who put a team together and then they they come together and at the end they're sitting around a table, like at a great feast. I mean, it has that kind of comedic structure where at the end, everyone's together and they're celebrating. Mm. Um, So I'm, you know, just, just reading, just getting outside of, you can borrow from other traditions. You know what I mean? That's, that's the thing is you want to look for the originality aspect is, looking for new sources, you know? So I think like right now, as far as I know about the industry, the industry is really looking for, you know, um, well, we don't even need to go into all of that, but it's that idea of finding new plate, new, new sources from which to borrow from. It's not just about like pulling new stuff out of your head. It's about actually ingesting mm-hmm. um, new stuff, devouring, um, you know, stuff that you're unfamiliar with so that that will come through your work. Yeah. You know, I think that's the real problem when people get started writing is they want to, they don't want to be influenced. They want to be original like they want to have their own voice but it's like billy collins says it's like well the way you get a voice as a poet is you start imitating about a dozen people and eventually like something comes out of this like mix you know um and i just think that's a you know it's a deep problem it's embedded it comes from a lot of the romantics you know that kind of right and it's also a capitalism problem because capitalism wants new you know, it wants new content. It wants like, you know, although if you look at what's selling, it's remakes and you know, right. just, so it's, so it's an interesting thing, but I, I think that the way the trick is the way towards originality is not by turning away from influence by it, but it's actually broadening and deepening your influence. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, one of the things we talk about a lot is if you're, we, you know, that, kind of foundational belief is that you you have a creative energy and you um, use your creative energy when you do something creative, writing a book or poem or whatever it might be, you're using energy. And in order to continue to do that thing, you have to learn how to replenish your energy. Yeah. Um, that's that great. It's, that it's a, it's not a infinite source uh, just welling up from inside of you. It needs to be replenished in the same way you put yeah. gas back in a car. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a great, you know, yeah. I love that. And, and, and I really feel that books yeah. are crystallizations of that exactly. energy. They're, yeah. they're, in, they're in embodiments. I think what the writer does is like puts all of their energy into the book and the book is like a lump of coal, <laughs> you know, it's, it's right. a highly compressed compact thing. And then, you know, what the reader picks up the book and opens it and starts turning the page. So they power and they sort of unlock all that energy exactly. through their energy. So it's a meeting of energies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love that. Yeah. I mean, I love thinking in terms of energy. Yeah. Yeah. And finding sources of energy that, are, that really fill you up. I mean, like for me, when I lived in New York, I used to be going to the Met and for whatever reason, yeah. sculpture garden at the Met, which like, these are 2000 year old sculptures. I have not even the slightest idea of sculpture making. Do <laughs> right. I don't even yeah. say that? Yeah. But yeah. The process of making sculpture, but walking through that sculpture garden, I would leave and be like, I can go write a thousand pages right now. It just, for whatever reason, it just filled my energy up so yeah. high. It made me feel so alive, so human, so, so loved in some odd way, like seeing how delicate the marble was sculpted just i i just felt a sense of incredible energy that then going and transporting that um but i think of a, a lot of what you're saying is is i kind of hear it i hear it in those terms of this idea that it's like 
yeah, you can read books to get energy, but there's energy everywhere around you. Like part of being a creator and an artist is learning how to notice the energy everywhere in nature and in music and in the people around you and in a great freaking nap, you know, and like, yeah, good food, <laughs> you know, of good of dream, like, you know, dream, uh, yeah, of just somebody, yeah. somebody telling somebody you love them even unlocks energy for yourself, right? There's energy yeah, cool everywhere. Fun. And this idea of being able to manifest it and bring it in, um, I think is super critical. And I would love to, I mean, like for me doing this podcast is actually an interesting source of creative energy for me. Like I, I end every episode and I have to like go walk and absorb it because I just, I get so much out of it. <laughs> You're these. all jacked up. <laughs> I am no, I'm super jacked up and amped up. That's but cool. All that to say, um, we're at the part of the show. Crazy enough. I just looked at the time. We're at the part of the show. Um, we're actually, have to, I actually have to start winding us down. Um, oh, that's I crazy. Like just, I feel like we're just getting warmed up here. Oh, well, we can um, go a little longer if you want. Yeah. Well, I, I would love to, I mean the, the one, um, the, the one piece that your Silicon artist touches on a lot, and I think is really important, and we've been dancing around it, I think, in this this talk that I wanted to ask you about. And and, and again, this doesn't substitute for buying the book and reading the book. Like, I, I just, I cannot recommend it enough. But one of the things it talks about a lot is the imposter. Um, oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. and I actually want to do a different frame on it. Um sure. Because a lot of times we talk about how to overcome or how to like push through or how to defeat a uh, very conquesting language we use with the imposter. And I actually believe the mm -hmm. imposter to be a persona um, yeah. of us. We all have the imposter inside of us. I'm curious, what, what do you think we can learn or gain or appreciate from the imposter and from that, from that persona inside of us? Well, I mean, it's a different slice, a great right? Question. <laughs> I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I, I do think that um, that's a great flip of imposter syndrome. You know, imposter syndrome is the idea that you're faking it and that someone's going to figure you out and the imposter mm -hmm. police are going to show up and they're going to take everything away from you. They're going to show everyone what a phony you are. Um, I think that, you know, this is particularly funny for fiction writers because they pretend all the time. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, they're, yeah. that's basically your whole job is to pretend. I mean, yeah, in some right. ways you're like a, you're like a kid who, uh, you know, sculpted his own toys and then, you know, moved them around and gave them dialogue. That's <laughs> like, um, but I think what we can learn, I mean, the, there is a certain amount of tricksterism. It would be worthwhile to most people to get acquainted with the idea of the trickster figure and mm -hmm. a lot of mythology and, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and this idea that there's, that artists are slippery, that there's a certain slipperiness to art. And part of the reason is, as a creative person, particularly a fiction writer, you have to be able to get into everyone's head. Mm -hmm. And part of that slipperiness is you have to, you have to like think how a rotten person would think or an evil person or a thief or a, you know, all these different things, because these are the people you have to populate your novels with, you know, there's not just all wonderful, happy people, uh, you know, so there is a sense of, I think you can learn a sense of showmanship for one thing, a kind of putting on the show. Um, but you can also learn that there's something magical that happens you know, there's that great Oscar. I thought about the whole pandemic. I thought about the Oscar Wilde quote where he says, you know, if you want someone to tell the truth, you know, have them put on a mask, mm. you know? And I think that that is really deep and, and true is that what sometimes if we put on certain masks, we can say things that we really want to say that we can't say another, any other way. Uh, and I think that's the real dream of fiction. That's something that I hunger for mm -hmm. with fiction is there are things that mm. I would love to explore and mm. express in my nonfiction books that I just can't um, that, you know, but I could invent someone and put them in a fiction book and have them say all, yeah. you know, all the things. That's yeah. why I always thought Dostoevsky was, you know, in, in the brothers Karamazov, you know, how he's voicing all these you know, he's, he's really voicing these op. It's this, uh, Oh, what is Bakhtin called? The, uh, 
dialogic imagine i'm making stuff up now mm-hmm. there's a real dialogue you know yeah. between the the angel and the demons on your shoulder in fiction yeah. or there can be but i i think you know the the sense the thing that i always got from imposter syndrome is like i love the phrase fake it till you make it because yeah. people say well faking it that's bad and i'm like honey look around you like, have you met any other adults? Right, We're all right. faking We're all it faking all day it. long. <laughs> One of the great moments in your adult life is when you figure out that every teenage impulse you had to, you know, when you were a teenager and you thought, look at all these phonies, look at all these people, yeah, just right. they have no idea what's going on. When you realize that it's really true, there's really no one yeah. steering the ship. Everyone's right. a, everyone just got here. I always loved that. Kurt Vonnegut, he used to say, you know, my kids bitch at me about the world and what's going on and i shout at them i just got here too you know? yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, you literally don't live long enough to become oh, anything that. other than an amateur so yeah. i i do think there's a um and to and to bring that knowledge into your fiction because i mean one of the beautiful things about fiction you know i think is just to uncover these people like to go there for the messiness and imperfection that they don't see you know elsewhere everyone else is pretending to be great. And I think the cool thing about fiction is you can have people go off the rails. And, but then you can also watch people who are really good at something too. You know, people yeah. love that. They love procedurals. And so I don't know. I, I think that there's tons to learn from the imposter. And the real fact of the matter is, is that we're, we're faking it all the time. And it's through the faking it and the pretending to be something that you actually become something. Yeah, that's the thing. Every every creative leap, when you start out as a, you want to be a novelist, you got to pretend to be a novelist for a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's the job. Yeah. yeah, totally. There's there's rest Neil, for the job you want. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Neil Neil Gaiman in his commencement speech says the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, like if you can't write a scene, just pretend like you're a novelist who can write the scene. Pretend you're then, someone who could do this then, work, and then you yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love I that. Love it. Yeah. Easier said than done. Yeah. Easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot about the imposter. I think a lot of, you know, especially if you're a working writer, you know, and, and I don't mean working as in you're making your living from writing. I mean, you work a nine to five and you have a family, maybe and kids and friends and responsibilities. And you're also trying to write on the side. It's very easy to feel like I don't belong here. I, I just, I fundamentally don't, I'm different than somebody who writes novels because I have all of this other baggage I have to bring with me. And I think the imposter comes in and, and voices, voices up at that point. Like, are you sure you're supposed to be doing this? And I think that there's um, important moments in there. There's important discussions one has with oneself when the imposter comes in and says, are you sure you're supposed to be there? Because um, ultimately I believe this, this um, thing we do writing fiction comes down to decisions. And you make certain decisions. All art. Yeah. All art comes yeah. down to making decisions. Yeah. And part of the thing with the imposter is deciding how to answer it. You know, yeah. th- there's not a right answer there. Because if you say, I'm not a writer, you, you will cease to be. Like, th- it's not right or wrong. It just is the decision you, you've made. If you say, I am, I'm supposed to be here. Shit, it could take you years and decades, like <laughs> for me, decades. Um, yeah. you know, but, but, but the grind shows up then it's something there's an interesting moment with the imposter. I feel like there's almost a gatekeeper moment there. Um, you know, it's interesting. People yeah. need different things. I mean, some people, yeah. they really need the noun. They really need to feel like they're the noun. They need right. to feel like they're a real writer before they can do their writing. I always said per me personally, I don't care what you call me. Mm. I'm going to write, Yeah, you know, if I'm a writer with a capital W someday, right. fine. But like, I'm going to write, you know, and that slipperiness, one of the things that one of the reasons I don't get attached to nouns too much is that I'm interested in a bunch of things. And I don't necessarily want to put a label on what I'm doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I was only interested in the early days and being a fiction writer or a novelist or a screenwriter or something, I might not let myself do this other kind of work, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you have to sort of there is an intercourse with the universe that happens with creative work in that the universe, you know, there's what you want to do and there's what the universe needs from you. And if you're lucky, you find that sliver, mm. you know, in the Venn diagram, wow. there's a lot to chew on in that one. There's a lot to chew on. <laughs> 
Um, okay, let me let me let me wrap us up because I feel like I've got another ten questions I just about asked you, which would have set us <laughs> further down the, the, the rabbit hole. Um, I I like I said, I mean, this is one of those I could just I could just keep. I I've said this like ten times on this podcast. I really mean it. I've been exploring this idea of doing long form podcasts. Like huh? we're gonna take three hours and we're gonna talk about one topic and we're gonna get to the bottom of that topic. Um, and I feel like I feel like imposter syndrome and the imposter is one of those spots where you could just dig and dig. Cause then you get into psyche and you get into the reason you're even here in the first place. And there's just, you know, you hitting young before you know it. And you know, it's like, you're all, like, yeah. Well, Anyways. One, one thing I would make, and, and I might be giving away my, my status as a Gemini here, but one, one of the things I would push people is to don't assume, you know, what you have is best. I mean, don't, Mm. most artists are completely delusional about what they actually have to offer. This is something I've noticed in a lot of my research. You, you cannot judge what it is that you have. That's actually good. Um, because mm. Boy, that's part of the thing. issue is that, you know, the thing that you think is great is the thing that no one's going to want. And the thing that you think is cheating or, or easy or whatever, that's what everybody's going to reward you for. It'll mm. happen. You know, I mean, that, that happens to people over and over. Look at every band that had a hit single. Very rarely does the band say, oh, we put our heart and soul into that single. Right. It's usually like we needed another song for the album when we bashed out in 15 minutes. And then we ended up playing Creep for the next five years yeah, you right, know? It's right. like, or Stairway to Heaven. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I always love how Led Zeppelin talks about how much they hated Stairway to Heaven. And they used to rehearse it as a reggae song because they just wanted to like get away. You know, so it's just like, it's that thing. You just, you gotta, you gotta do the work that you want to do, but don't have delusions that you will know best what the universe is going to want from you. Mm. And I think that's the ultimate humbling ego destroying thing that every artist has to deal with. It's incredibly humbling. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Let's get into these final questions here. Um, (laughs) Final six questions. So I ask these same questions to every single person on the podcast, every single guest, uh, you're, I think the 118th person I've asked these questions to, and I do it for two reasons. First reason is I like the answers and it's my show. So I could do whatever I want. Second reason is, um, so much of the show really we're focused on helping writers find the way that they put words on the page. And our belief is that it's different for every writer. Um, no two writers do it exactly the same. Yeah. And sometimes the belief is that there is a right way. And my hope is as you hear these answers, you'll hear the variety of them, diversity of them. And you realize there's not one correct way to do this. Everyone's different. I've had, you know, how many unbelievably famous, successful artists on the show, they all do it differently. They all write it differently. Um, they all write differently. I should say. Probably contradict each other. They contradict each other. And one person says this, one person says that. The idea is that maybe this inspires you, makes you laugh, but ultimately blows up the belief that there's any one way to do it. The right way to do it is your way. That helps you put words on the page in a happy way and joyful way. So with that said, let us dive into the first question. I'm really excited to hear this answer. Um, What do you view is your role as a storyteller? I... I mean, it's weird. I don't even think of myself as a storyteller. I mean, Mm. some of my stuff has stories in it. I think my job as an artist and a creative person is to make people feel more alive. I think that that's, Mm. I think that people lose sight of this. I think that great work should make people feel more alive. I love that. I love that. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Second question. If you had a spirit book, right? So this is, oh, I'm sorry. Second question is actually, what is the one word that best describes you? Uh, I, I, um, you know, the word that's popping in my head is angry. I'm an Mm. angry person. I I think a lot of people think my work is fairly happy. Um, it's very encouraging. Um, and I think there's one of my favorite poems is called a war, a warning to my readers. It's by a guy named Wendell Berry. And he says, yep. Do not think me gentle because I sing in praise of gentleness. Um, a lot of my work comes from a sheer hatred or anger or irritation at the world. Mm. And what I try to do is I try to look at what I hate and what makes me angry and what makes me itchy. And then I try to formulate the opposite position 
and not mention the other one. And so a lot of what I'm trying to present in my books is the way that I would like the world to run. <laughs> and, and it's me and my books are me on the nicest, happiest, friendly day. And I think that's very difficult for readers to hear because they mm. think if you're not a, I don't want to say sophisticated, but I don't think people quite realize how cantankerous I am. That might be the right, mm. the right word I get. I'm very aggravation is a kind of muse for me. Mm-hmm. And I mm. think that's very, I think that's, that's not, that's not shocking to anyone who knows me, but it's shocking to my readers. Sometimes my, yeah. my friends think it's really funny that I've written all these books. All these like because I can be pretty curmudgeonly. Yeah, 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 I can be pretty yeah. curmudgeonly in real life, but I guess in some ways my books are kind of fiction, and that I'm trying to present. Uh, it's the truth, but it's told through the happiest, help, most helpful version of me. <laughs> mm. See, there's a whole nother podcast episode just, go, in that, right? just in that statement right there. Like, I'm like, God, I can't dig into that. I do like these questions because I like being put on the spot. You did send yeah. me to them earlier, but I didn't look at them because I was like, yeah. oh, I just want to. Yeah. Half the people do and half don't. And I, yeah. I always, I, I love both. Um, <laughs> I, so, so on a, on a quick, very quick note, I see a lot of myself in that same thing. Um, that, that same uh, frustration and kind of, I have the, um, I'm like an Enneagram eight, you know, which I don't know if you know the Enneagram <laughs> I is. I yeah, haven't dived into that. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much like the, the, you know, you kind of have a nuclear reactor in your core. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can really relate to that, even though I do things that are, <laughs> that are very positive in the world and try and put out positivity, like yeah. inside, I feel like there's like a nuclear reactor. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Um, here it is question number three. If you had to pick a spirit book, okay, so this is a book that if you were able to be reincarnated as a specific book, which book would it be? Um, probably Linda Berry's What It Is. That's probably one of my favorite mm. books. Uh, a lot of my books come out of that book, that spirit of it. It's a wild collage. There's something different on every page. It's made of different materials. It's pictures and words. I, I would like to live on those pages. Maybe, maybe the complete peanuts too. There's something about that world that's very alive to me. I love reading newspaper comics collected in books. So like I loved when I was a kid getting collections of newspaper comics from the bookmobile. A lot of them were like horizontal, like yeah, you get the far yeah. side or Calvin and Hobbes or something. I always loved that. So yeah, maybe, maybe a Linda Berry book or or a, a comic book. Hmm. I've never had either one. This is what I'm saying. You there always you get, I always get new answers. Yeah. Okay. Is there a specific tool? Um, can be anything at all. Pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything that you absolutely must have to write. Uh, yeah, this, I thought a lot of, I did look, I did look and I, I thought about this. I think for me, um, just a page, there's something about the page I think in terms of the page, uh, one of the things I find hard about Microsoft Word or something like that is that it's endlessly scrolling. But there's something about the page. When you look at an empty page and you think, all I have to really do is fill this. Mm. That is that is the tool I need. I need a page. I need a surface to work on. As long as I have like a surface to work on, I'm good. You're good. So picking the page is a big deal for me. I've always joked that if the publisher just said we need a 125 page book at a six by eight trim size by this time go, I could do that much easier than trying to come up with a book proposal and sell it table contents and all that. There's something about the page. That's a very strange answer, but there's something about the page, the having the canvas to work on. Yeah. Something about the page, like uh, filling it for me is pretty easy. Oh, I love that. Again, that's why I love doing these questions. I get the best (laughs) answers. Um, Okay, here's the next question. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Oh, um, just I have a a groundhog day-like approach to life and that the sun goes up, the sun goes down. And it's just what you can do with the day. 
So at the beginning of the day, it's just full of possibility. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I just don't think about my life after dinner time. That's mm -hmm. really my secret because I know everything looks better in the daylight. Everything looks better in the morning sun. And so I just, after dinner, I don't think about my life. I do something else. And then I try to attack all my problems in the morning. And that mm. is how I deal with the writing life. That's also how I deal with um, life in general is the, the next day is a blank page and I will fill it. Mm. If I get another page, I will fill it. Mm. I love that. <laughs> another, pod, another podcast episode right there. Also, I think children, and you know this, children <laughs> will cure you of any sort. But you think <laughs> your work is important and then you're around your children and you're like, well, they don't care. And Correct. <laughs> they don't care at all. Uh, and they just want you to be interesting yeah. <laughs> or, or there, or they don't want you there. And yeah. it's very humbling. And I love it. Yeah. I love yeah. that. My kids don't give two craps about what I do. Right. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same. Okay. Last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? So I have started biking and my advice is not to bike, but it couldn't hurt. Um, when I'm riding, my riding partner is in his seventies and he's very hard of hearing. So sometimes we'll, when we're talking about writing, it's hard to know whether we're talking about writing or riding. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, there is a piece of advice, uh, that, um, a very famous cyclist, uh, you know, the journalist said, what advice do you have to to uh, people who want to ride bikes. He said, ride lots. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. That's all he said. And I think that's my advice to writers is just, you know, write lots. Um, but really my main advice is just don't write what you think you should write. Don't write what you think the world wants. Just write the kind of book you'd like to read. I yeah. just, that, yeah. just write what you want to read. The minute I stop. The minute I got real with myself and asked myself what kind of books I loved and what kind of books I love to read and what their energies were, it cleared things up for me. Mm -hmm. And I've heard I that a not, lot. Yeah, yeah. Write the book you want to read. Whatever gap there is on the shelf. Yeah. I, I feel it. I've had so many authors on this show say, say something similar where it's like, you know, I wrote and was published and was trying to do the right thing and I was soulless. And then yep. I just realized I like to write about X, Y, Z, and it can be any X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z is a, not that it's irrelevant, but it, yep. there's no, there's no, um, necessity of what it is. It can be anything. And all of a sudden, you know, the passion came back. And so, and, yeah. yeah. And if you're worried about your career, every book is a lottery ticket and yeah, right. It, you just don't know how it's going to go. I mean, I, you know, when I was, I have turned in a book and said, that's the Oprah book, baby. Like that's the one, yeah, this one, yeah. this is the best I can do. This is incredible. And it did fine, but didn't, wasn't, you know, mm -hmm, it did fine. Mm -hmm, <laughs> right, so, right. um, yeah. So anyway, um, that's, uh, yeah. Write the book you want to read. It. Austin, <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to, um, spend this time with you and dig into your brain a little bit. I feel like there's like 10 other directions I could have gone and, and could, could keep talking to you, but um, thank you so much for the time and for everybody out there, make sure you go and um, check out to like an artist 10th anniversary edition. Also last thing, Austin, where can people find you online? Like where do you hang out? Uh, I hang out at Austin Cleon, K L E O N.com. I've been mm -hmm. there for too long. 17 long. years. <laughs> are you on any, any specific social platforms that you are frequent? I, I know you're pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. Any one of those that you tend I, to be on more? I'm on Twitter and Instagram a lot. I'm Austin Cleon there. Um, yep. We are doing, I love my newsletter. My newsletter, my Friday yep. newsletter goes out to 100,000 people. I can't Holy believe smokes. it. Holy smokes, 100,000 um, people? Yep. And wow, uh, we have spun that off. There's a yeah, check that out. I mean, that's that's, that's the so thing cool. that people when I was talking earlier about being a fan and you know, kind of making your place in the world. There are definitely people that read my newsletter that do not read my books. Um that's and so, cool. so there is uh I love that. I love I love being different things to different people. So, yeah, that's my favorite thing I do online and we're we're um the community over there is really cool. We're we're kind of branching out 
And uh, we do a Tuesday newsletter now that's for paid subscribers. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. comments on those Tuesday newsletters is what the internet used to feel like. Mm -hmm. Like it's very pleasing and everyone's nice and it is a great group of people. So that is, um, and that's maybe a great place to lead off with your audience is that finding your readers. Mm-hmm. If you write the book you kind of, you want to read, you will find the kind of readers that, mm-hmm. you know, you'll just meet the nicest people. You just, yeah. you yeah. just write the books that you'd like to read and you will find the readers that you want. I mean, it just, that, that's how it works. And it is, it. I've been blessed with that. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and for um, this interview. I cannot wait to bring in the world. And uh, yeah, it's just been such a pleasure. Thank you, man. This was great. Thank you. Thank you again to Austin for his time. If you haven't yet, please check us out on iTunes. You can leave us a rating and review. I read every single of one of those ratings and reviews. I really do. They they mean a lot to me. Also, you can check me out on Instagram. I'm at happywriter underscore co as well as Twitter, which is the underscore murfinator. As always, please join us in Happy Writer. It's free, happywriter.co. You can join our writing community, ask questions, hang out with writers, hang out with me, all the good stuff. Lastly, my friends, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week of writing.